0: Hello and welcome back to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. Continuing our series as we look around the continent at the return of football in different countries and some of the key transfers and updates in terms of the league and looking ahead to what the national team can do to get to the next World Cup. Uh, this week we're looking at Paraguay uh, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by uh, Roberto Rojas uh, from Bean Sports USA, also the host of the Low Limit Football Show. Uh, Roberto, how are you doing? Welcome.
1: Thank you for having me, Simon. I really appreciate it. Um, I I can't wait to talk about, you know, obviously a topic that I'm very passionate about and it's going to be interesting to see what we dive into. But yeah, I'm I'm really excited and can't wait for this discussion.
0: Excellent. Thank you for joining us. And also we have uh, Ralph Hanna, who has lived many years in Paraguay now in the US uh, and also obviously a big fan, a lot of interest in Paraguayan football. Uh, Ralph, welcome. How are you? Hi, Simon.
2: How are you? Hi, Roberto. It's good to be here. Looking forward to talk a bit about Paraguayan football.
0: First of all, uh, I think it would be good to look at the return of the league. I mean, Paraguay was one of the first in South America to be up and running with domestic league football. Um, First of all, Roberto, how's it been going?
1: Paraguay had obviously become one of the nations in South America that had to go strictly into a lockdown and quarantine for quite some time when the first cases started to come in. And, you know, obviously... I think one of the big issues that had come through this entire pandemic was to see what the return of football was going to be like. And, you know, obviously there was a plan. And given how controlled at the time that the nation was going in terms of cases of COVID-19, they decided to go in and, and move forward with the league. Having said that, you know, I think it's, it's positive for, for them to see the National League back. A, a bit of an advantage for them is that, you know, this, the season wasn't cut off in the middle you know i I think there were only a few fixtures in before everything was shut down in March, so it wasn't like a a terrible situation but no it's been it's been quite interesting I think we've seen uh, an interesting race so far when we got to the to the restart of the of the league we saw Olympia at the top of the table, but looking at everyone else as well, you'll get Libertad and Guarani always fighting as well and and then there was only one team that you know who had a bad start um to the league and, and probably their entire year when it comes to the competition. And that was Cerro Porteño, who have come back, you know, have not lost a single game yet ever since the restart on their Chiquiarse, and now find themselves top of the table with 39 points and a six-point gap between second-place Libertad. So it's, it's been quite a great turnaround, and I think a positive for, for Cerro Porteño fans because in what really was kind of a, a terrible start, you know, getting eliminated early in the Copa Libertadores, and then having the bad start in the, in the league, they've really turned around their fortunes and, you know, as it stands and, and obviously we'll, we'll get to the whole race as a whole, but as it stands, you know, Cedro Borden are looking right on course to, to win the league with a couple more fixtures uh, left to go in the, in the season. But overall it's been, I think it's been quite positive. I think we've seen, you know, we, we see cardboard cutouts at the, Cedro Ground and uh, La Nueva Olla. We see uh, Zoom audiences in in other stadiums as well. And, you know, I I think people are are happy to see the league back because it it kind of brings that kind of unity back into a country that that has a lot of issues politically and economically and whatnot. But I think... With football, they at least have something to to at least bond and talk about uh, during this whole pandemic.
0: Ralph, what's your experience been of the league? Have you enjoyed watching the games? How are they affected? Obviously, for me, when I see Paraguayan football, I'm so often incredibly impressed by the amazing atmospheres. And I think the the Paraguayan football, which is often very committed, really lends itself to these, these great atmospheres. The passion of the terrace is often reflected on the field. How has the football been different um, behind closed doors? And Because Paraguay is leading the way in terms of the return of football and it will be interesting to see, with the Libertadores expected to return in in the middle of September, it will be interesting to see how the games are affected. What do you think have been some of the key differences and uh, uh, what has been your impression of the football since it's returned?
2: Yeah, I think what's been interesting in terms of atmosphere is this weekend we had the Super superclassical between Cerro Porteño and Olimpia, and it's actually the first time in the history of that fixture that it's been behind closed doors. Um, and that was a very strange atmosphere to see these players kind of, you know, wanting to celebrate, and there's no one really to celebrate with except for the bench. Um, also, you knew that people would have been itching to... To even be meeting with friends or, you know, have a barbecue or something. And and that's not possible right now. So I think that was a very, it, it was a very strange atmosphere. Um, that said, there's been some interesting developments with the fact that all these games are behind closed doors. It's actually allowed a lot of the smaller teams to host games. So often in Paraguay, if Cerro or Olympia are visiting a smaller team, they would actually use the national stadium just because of security and that kind of thing. Um, But now we've seen uh, Cerro had to go, for example, to to Guaireña on a a Tuesday night, I think it was, for a midweek game, which is something you wouldn't usually expect. Um, And without having the fans, of course, that general home and away advantage is very different. For a team like Cerro, it, it maybe has helped them rebound. Like Roberto said, they've, they've actually won nine games in a row. And maybe it's helped that they haven't had that pressure and the fans on the back on their back, which they did at the beginning of the season. But I think overall it's, it's been a very interesting experiment. They've conducted over 6,000 tests. I was listening to the head of the, the, the chief medical officer of the, of the Paraguayan FA yesterday. So over six thousand tests, which is essentially each player has been tested at least ten or eleven times. So they're kind of a a model to follow, I guess, within the country, um, in terms of how you could safely bring back some kind of some kind of industry under a under a relatively controlled environment. They're not doing a bubble like we're seeing in the NBA here in the US or or that MLS did recently, but there is very strict protocols in terms of in terms of testing and both for players and staff, and then if you know if there is a positive case, then they have to they have to be retested or they have to go into quarantine before they're clear to play. Um, and I think from that side of things, the, the purely safety and security has been it's been a very positive experience from uh, from Paraguayan football, and hopefully, kind of something that other clubs in or other leagues in South America can start to. To replicate as they begin to return
0: that sounds great yeah obviously uh, across the continent we're going to have awkward conversations and i'm sure there'll be a lot of good news and some tricky news in regards to coronavirus cases and return of football across the continent so it's interesting to hear that paraguay is perhaps a good example to follow about in terms of women's football um this is something we're obviously very interested in how is women's football seen in paraguay has there been some developments in the game and, and are we able to see women's football returning uh, and how, where are we in regards to the women's game in the country
1: um well with the progress that the the men's game has been doing to try to restart their football and we obviously saw it unfortunately we're not seeing the same thing in the women's game um Learning about it a bit more, you know, obviously the women's game is, is is quite different. You know, it's not a professional league, obviously. It's more amateur. So a lot of these, you know, players are doing a bunch of different side hustles and whatnot. So from what I was able to understand is that, you know, there are 13 teams in the, in the Paraguayan league, women's league, uh, the 12 teams that are playing in the first division right now, which also is the same thing in the men's. And one other team, Deportivo Capital, who used to play in the first division, but are included as well. And what they do is they do kind of a, a round robin tournament. So they uh, do like for, uh, home and away legs, and then they deal with the quarterfinals, uh, semifinals, finals, and whatnot. And um, and yeah, uh, unfortunately, they they haven't been able to give a restart to the to the competition as of yet. You know. Um, the Paraguayan FA says that they, they haven't been able to find something because the, the season was supposed to start much earlier. But given that we're already in September, that there won't be enough time to, to give that. And, you know, it's unfortunate because I think, and obviously we'll talk about some of the players that have flourished uh, in the Paraguayan game. You know, we see teams that are are not getting that support needed. I think, unfortunately, the common consensus is that there is a sort of support that is given to the women's game, but it's just not there. It's just it's still considered. I don't want to say taboo. I feel like that's a terrible word to say, but it's just they're not accepted as of yet. And I think it kind of makes sense given the state that it is right now. You know, obviously the women's game and the national team has made it to a bunch of. Uh, U20s and U17 World Cups, but they have never made it to a full senior World Cup yet. Um, given the the tough qualification process that it comes uh, in the Copa America femenino, so right as of right now, you know they they haven't. It's basically a lot of stalemate. You know they they're not really doing much, and it's unfortunate because I think you know these players they are talented. There are a lot that that have definitely promised. You know, there's one in particular that we'll talk about that has really provided some sort of light, um, shining light to the women's game in Paraguay. But at the moment, you know, it's it's unfortunate that they haven't been able to to move forward with the league because of the pandemic.
0: So, Ralph, can you give us uh, some positive news? Is there a, perhaps an example for some of uh, the other female players in Paraguay to follow and uh, move into the professional game?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, the most positive news we had this summer was hearing that Jessica Martinez, um, have been transferred to the new Real Madrid uh, side. Um, um She's only 21. She broke through. Wow, really young in Paraguay. I think she scored her first international goal when she was about 15. So she was really one of these kind of kind of prodigies, which we sometimes see in the men's game as well. Um, she ended up playing for. They're called Sportivo Limpeño, but it's now they're kind of owned by Libertad, the men's club. So they're. I think they're called Sportivo, Limpeño, Libertad, um, and that has a bit more investment. Remember, Libertad uh, owned by Horacio Cartes, who was president of of Paraguay, of the of the country for four years. Um, with that investment, they managed to win the Copa Libertadores in 2016, and she was part of that side, um, and and that saw her profile kind of kind of raised throughout South America, um, and she's played. You know she's played for the national team now for for what uh, six years breaking through so young, and this year she got the chance to to move to Spain so she's going to be in that in that Real Madrid setup and I think that's a that's a huge inspiration for uh, for Paraguayan players that are that are looking to break out of Paraguay um, and then then just in. In contrast to, to another very talented Paraguayan player is uh, Laura Romero. She's actually the niece of Romerito, the, who won the Copa America with Paraguay back in 1979 and and scored at the World Cup in in 86. Um, I follow her on Instagram. And at the moment, she's kind of training in, in a local park in Paraguay, waiting to be able to get back to Argentina, where... Where the league still hasn't started, and that kind of talks a, a bit about the disparity that, that Roberto's mentioned between the the men and women's game, because she's you know one of a one of the leading players in uh, in Paraguay, and she's having to train on a, her own or with her dogs, as I can see on Instagram, in a local park, um, whereas the men's games already had the you know the restart in, in Paraguay, and it's professional players, and they they're being paid through this you know they've been paid during the the downtime as well during the pandemic so there is a long way to go but i I think the jessica martinez story is a is a great inspiration for sure
0: Okay, so we're going to get onto the Copa Libertadores in a minute, but I wanted to quickly touch upon some of the interesting transfers. Uh, it seems that Paraguay has become a, a real interesting market for for some key leagues, and I think in particular Major League Soccer has found a, a great deal of, of value and potential uh, in some of the Paraguayan players. I mean, let's start by talking about uh, Austin. Um, who have signed Rodney Redes and Cecilio Dominguez. Um, First, Roberto, what are your thoughts on the deal? Do you think this will be a a good success? And do you see this as a good stepping stone for the players?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I I think when you look at how MLS has really been kind of a breeding ground for, for many young Paraguayan players, I think obviously we have to go back to the the exploits that Miguel Almiron did at Atlanta United that some guys moved to to Newcastle, I think it serves as an influence for many young Paraguayans or at least those that are starting to view MLS as somewhere where they're like, okay, maybe this is somewhere that I could follow and and, and hopefully if if I do well over there, I can you know I could hopefully go to a much more bigger club, maybe in Europe or wherever it may be. So I think in terms of both the the transfers of Rodney Reyes and and uh, Cecilio Dominguez, you know the the only two transfers that Austin FC has done. I, I think it's it's quite fascinating when you think about. It. You know, I was speaking to a bunch of a bunch of people in in Austin about him, about both players, and I think there is a tale of of two kind of stories for both these players. I think starting with Redes, I, I think he's a very you know gifted player, very classy. I think we've seen what he's been able to prove at for Wanani. In the local league and also in the Copa Libertadores, you know that fast winger, um, you know someone that could be versatile and working on both flanks and, and just someone that I I, I think is one of those promising figures that Paraguay is, is starting to bring with this new generation of players that will hopefully help them uh, for the national team. I, I think for him, they it's uh, it's an opportunity where maybe similar to what Miguel did at Atlanta, that we could see someone that comes to an Austin FC uh, into a team that. You know, it, it probably won't matter if they go and win MLS Cup. I mean, obviously, we have to see who they get as well, but or, or finish last, it, it will still mean the, it will still mean the same because it's you know it's just kind of a of just getting into and and figuring out how the league works and whatnot. So I, I'm very excited to see what he does. And for Sergio Dominguez, I think that's another interesting one because you know he's he's a player that's obviously much more known. We've seen him what he does, what he did at Cerro Porteño, and then his his time at Club América in Mexico, and then at Independiente in Argentina—two different stories, uh, and 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 basically uh, odysseys for for him. But I, I think we still see someone that, hopefully, at the age that he is, he's you know he's twenty six years old, still in the prime of his career. He could probably turn it around. And you know, it was unfortunate to not get those to get those injuries that maybe we were robbed of the best of Cecilio Dominguez and you know being inconsistent, but. I think for him to go into Austin and for both players, it's a it's, it's a new challenge for them. It's a new challenge for them to be the the, the main stars of the attack of Austin FC. I think a, a side that obviously will be the first ever professional team in all sports in the city of Austin in Texas. So, yeah, I, I think I'm really excited. And again, I, I think of the talent that both the players have demonstrated for their respective teams um, it's, it's going to be great that both players will be playing alongside each other at Guarani. You know, Cecilia will be on loan uh, at Guarani for the remainder of the year. Uh, same with Redes before they go to Austin in January. So it'll be great to see how both players work out well. you will get competitive football when the Copa Libertadores returns. And yeah, I, I think it's, it's fascinating to see many young Paraguayans now starting to look at this league as somewhere where they could be more financially secure, you know, maybe not to the extent of what teams in, 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 in this region are paying, but it allows them to feel as if they'll, you know, they can, they, they don't have that much pressure in the extent of playing at an independiente or a club America, you know, two big sides in their respective nations. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited and I, I can't wait to see what they do. I, I really do have high hopes for both players. Uh,
0: Ralph what are your thoughts on the move any any concerns about the players and uh, do you see this as a stepping stone or is this a final destination and and how has this been received in Paraguay are, are Paraguayans happy to see their kind of some of their more interesting players moving to the US
2: Roberto made a great point about Miguel Almirón I think Almiron really kind of changed perceptions, especially in, in Paraguay, but I think also so across the MLS of, of what you can do with, with these young players from from South America, from Latin America, including Mexico, that, that actually, okay, that they can come to the MLS younger, then they can make the jump uh, to Europe, because for a long time, I think the MLS has been viewed as kind of the league where people go to retire to, rather than somewhere for young talent, but but just recently, I mean, not just with Paraguayan players there's, there's a lot of younger players coming through with showing real potential and and then they could have the chance to move on. Um, so I think in Paraguay, people first and foremost are very proud that that Austin, this new club is, has decided that their first two signings are going to be two Paraguayan players. Um, you wouldn't you wouldn't usually expect that I think um traditionally, so there's definitely some. Some pride there. In terms of the moves, I think it comes obviously at very different stages of, of the careers of both. Uh, for Rodney Redes, for sure this is like a stepping stone for him, you know, to uh, to try and see if he can he can jump into Europe. For someone like Cecilio, it's maybe a, I would say it's kind of like you'd say in Spanish like a revanche, It's like um he's you know he's trying to. He's trying to show people that just how good he really can be, having suffered those injuries in in America, um, and maybe never really fulfilling his his potential because he was a guy that broke through. He played for Paraguay in the Sudamericano in in 2013 uh, uh, with a huge talent. He he won the league with Cerro, a very exciting Cerro Porteño team. Um, and that earned him his. His kind of big move to Mexico, and for, and from there he had not he didn't manage to make the jump to Europe, which is I'm sure what he would have wanted to do. So for for him, maybe he's maybe he's thinking this is somewhere he can he can play his prime, he can he can earn well. Like Roberto says, I think the security and the lack of pressure compared to those those huge clubs in, in Argentina and, and Mexico. Um, is maybe what he needs to try and re-establish himself and, and try and find that football that that we know he's capable of. Um, they're both very exciting attacking players and similar to to what Roberto's saying about the the kind of the play, the type of players Paraguay are producing right now is um, you know there's a lot of these young kind of either wingers or can play in the middle very offensive-minded, maybe not too tactically disciplined. Um, but I think there's a there's a lot of exciting players coming out of Paraguay right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, in a couple more. I mean, we have uh, Eric López, who's gone to Atlanta, and Hugo Quintana, who's gone to Palmeiras. Uh, Roberto, uh, what are your thoughts on the two? I mean, one's gone the kind of traditional route, going to a Brazilian giant, whereas the other has gone to the US. What are your thoughts on the qualities of the two players and the choice in terms of career development?
1: Well, I think for, for Eric Lopez, I think he's a player that I think has more of a higher ceiling than Uo Quintana. I think Quintana is a, a very talented uh, young midfielder. Um, I think the situation for, for um, both these players is that I think Quintana is more in a situation that he's going to be on the B team at Palmeiras. So perhaps his opportunities will eventually come um, when time comes, um, when he goes into the first team. But I think for Eric Lopez, I think that's a more different situation because he was a player that kind of exploded in basically a year ago, he would say. A year ago, he made his debut for um, Olympia coming from the academy. You know, he did everything for the, um, you know, he did all the levels, the U17, U20. Um, sorry, I shouldn't say that. Uh, U15, U16, U17, uh, all those levels before making his debut. Um, and he's flourished a lot. You know, he scored, I think, four goals in. 12 games. So for a 17 year old kid to do that is, is incredible. I I think it shows that uh, he definitely has uh, a higher ceiling that he can definitely go for. And, you know, it was kind of surprising to me that he did make this move to Atlanta United so soon. I would assume that he would perhaps get one full season of playing at Olympia, which obviously is a a huge team in its own right in, in the, in the country and all across the, the region. But um, no, I I think with uh, with news that are also going along with with um, Atlanta United as as we record, I think we're seeing a situation where Atlanta United are are building for the future. We don't know how long a player like Joseph Martinez will be there, or Ezekiel Barkley, even though he's he's so young as well. But I think with Eric Lopez, you get someone that is is very talented, is is someone that can you know work as you know as Ralph said, you know that kind of generational players as. That could work as wingers or work in the middle as a, as a true striker. Um, it, it's been fascinating to see his, his development and, you know, I'm very excited to see what he does at Atlanta United. And I think that, you know, he can be eased in into a similar situation as red is where, you know, both these players, if it all goes well, that they, they explode and they have great uh, campaigns for their, for their teams that interest from all around the world. But obviously Europe is the main destination. Uh, will come and go for these players.
0: Okay, good. Uh, Ralph, so uh, any thoughts you have on those two? But also, there's a player who I have been an admirer of for a good number of years, already in the Paraguayan squad, uh, still of a good a good age, playing Libertadores, great cross with the ball, a lot of good technical ability. What is going on with Arsamendia? All these players moving abroad and Arsamendia still there in Paraguay. Uh, do you think he has some limitations to his game or... Is it just kind of a, a waiting game, or what's what's the situation with Arsamendia? Yeah, I
2: think that's a great question. I mean, Arsamendia is a very good player. He's he can go forward. Uh, I mean, he's a left back. Just for just for listeners who might not know him, mean, he can go forward. Um, he's defensively sound. I think he had a great Copa America last year. I remember he he was pretty much the only player in that Copa America that. Um, they could they could handle Brazil um, Paraguay eventually knocked out on penalties. Um, it's surprising he hasn't moved yet. I, I know there were some rumors you know the, this time last year of, of maybe going and you know after that good Copa America he had and he decided to stay for one more for one more season and now I, maybe because of the the pandemic, you know, he's he might have missed an opportunity to to move this summer. But it is very surprising he hasn't gone anywhere. Um I think he's also been linked to the the MLS. Um, and he's one of a you know a long line of these players from Cerro Porteño that their that their youth side have managed to produce because the other players we were just talking about, Cecilio Dominguez for example, uh, he was at Cerro, Almirón was at Cerro, um you have people like Bruno Valdez who was also at a Cerro before going to America. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's one of that, that line of players that are, are very interesting. I agree with Roberto about Eric López, that, that I think he has a higher higher ceiling than Quintana because, I mean, he's played a lot of senior football. He's a sure bet in that sense. Um, and one of the reasons he has is because of Paraguay's rule that you have to field at least one under 19 in your side. Um, so that's pretty much how he got his chance in an Olympia team full of so many stars. Is that they they needed to to field at least one youngster, and he was the best of the bunch. So he was getting to play up front with someone like Rocky Santa Cruz. Um, you know, learning from from a former Premier League striker. Um, and I think he's a, he's a very exciting player to watch. And also he's part of a, I would say he's part of this newer generation of Olympia players. Um, that have been coming through because Olympia suffered for for a long time, maybe you know, almost ten years of of not having a good enough academy. Um, they were they were getting uh, they were kind of getting out invested in in youth football by Cerro, by Libertad, even Guarani, who were going to international tournaments in places like Italy, whereas Olympia kind of stood still. Um, and uh, their newer, their most recent president, Trovato, has invested a lot in in youth players, and I think in the youth setup. Sorry, and I think what we're seeing is a kind of, you know, the kind of uh, fruits bearing from that from that investment now with this this next group of players from Olympia
0: you know before we before we finish talking about transfers i mean how can we how can we not talk about the galactico era, era of paraguayan football uh, Adebayor, and there was talk of yaya toure um roberto in our post pandemic world are these high profile signings a thing of the past or could we see some some crazy interesting headline catching transfers again in the future
1: uh well after the Adebayor debacle it, it probably will be a long time until we see something um uh... You know, I think it was unfortunate that we weren't able, where we weren't able to see the best of Emmanuel Adebayor in in Paraguay, albeit if if you accept a karate kick, uh, red card in the Copa Libertadores as, as the highlight. But um, no, I, I think um, this is my personal opinion. Personally, I, I think you know Paraguayan football definitely has to become much more authentic in a way that it doesn't have to rely on. I'm bringing huge foreigners. I mean, the country itself wasn't really attractive enough to bring, you know, top foreign players. I mean, the big last one, the last big transfer before um, Adebayor, or at least that was competitive in Europe, was uh, Danny Guiza, who was the, um, the Pichichi in La Liga a couple of years ago. So, again, I, I think it's going to be a long time until we see something like this. Um, and, and maybe it's for the better because I think maybe they, they could focus on the stars that they have. And, and, you know, look at some of the foreigners that are coming from Europe, um, you know, the likes of De Rossi that is over there in, um, in, a, or was there at Boca Juniors or even Kasuke Honda who plays at Potafogo. I mean, there are only a few examples out there that have played in Europe and can earn a, a buck and, and, and try to get enough money as they can, you know, playing in South America. But I think in Paraguay's case, it's just I don't see why they would focus their interest too much in getting a a soon-to-be retired player uh, that had a great experience uh, playing in Europe.
0: Fair enough, yeah. I mean, there's definitely some good youngsters that uh, perhaps should be getting the headlines and uh, hopefully some of these US-bound stars can do the business and uh, put Paraguay on the map for some of their exciting attacking play, which which would be great. Just before we get back into the discussion of Paraguayan football, I wanted to give you guys a quick heads up about some of the extra content we have available every single month on Patreon. You can sign up, a few dollars, and you're going to get all of the back catalogue of episodes. We've got profiles on all of the top Colombian talent, including some of the unknown stars who are coming through, 16, 17-year-olds you've never heard of, and some of the bigger names who are on their way to Europe, plus some extra stuff on some of the big news stories coming out of South America. We also have each month profile, a discussion with two local experts on one of the, the great cities of South America. So we've been to, to Bogotá, to Medellín, to Buenos Aires, and most recently we went to Sao Paulo. All of those extra podcasts with profiles on players and city guides and some extra new stuff is going to be going up there shortly It's all available. You can sign up, cancel any time, uh, but give it a go, see if you like it, and uh, It'll be much appreciated. Helps us cover our costs. And uh, it's always great to bring you guys extra content. So let's get back to the episode. Let's talk about the Copa Libertadores, which is returning on the 15th of September. I am personally very excited uh, and I'm keen to hear your thoughts on the the progress so far and the, the potential for Paraguayan sides to get out of their groups. So first of all, let's talk about Guarani in Group B. A tricky group, but a group I think they might have a decent chance of getting out of. When there were Palmeiras, who I think are the strong favourites, and then they've got Bolivar and Tigre. Uh, Tigre, an Argentine side, but one in the second division who a little look a little bit out of their depth in this competition so far. So what are your thoughts, Ralph? Do you think Guarani can progress uh, from this group? He's currently in second position, but joint on points uh, with Bolivar. I
2: feel they have a good chance... Um... Particularly under Gustavo Costas, their coach, who's, who's proved to be is very shrewd tactically. He's doing a lot with the with the team as they you know as they try and compete with the the bigger clubs in Paraguay. Um, their next game is is Tigre at home, so that's something I think that's kind of going to be one of the most well the important game I think to see how they get out of the the group because they really need to to win that. You can see them uh, struggling obviously against Palmeiras. Um but I think and Bolívar always depends on on how they they do home and away. I know in in Peru, Binacional are not able to play their games at altitude. Um they're going to have to play in Lima. I don't know if they're gonna see something similar in with Bolívar if they can you know, if Comeball will effectively argue that or not. Um, but that could, you know, that could be huge. I mean, this whole Copa Libertadores is usually a, a big adventure, the whole tournament. I mean, this is this is going to be kind of even more than usual with with the pandemic. Uh, for those people that are listening outside of Latin America, I mean, the, most of the borders are closed at the moment, so so pretty much they're making up their own rules to be able to play these games, um, which is the kind of influence that Combo have. Within the region, um, so I think you know it's it's going to be very interesting the whole tournament. And in terms of, of Guarani I'd I'd feel pretty confident. What they're trying to do is register Cecilio Dominguez, who, who's now they're on loan. Um, there is a way they can they can register him for the Libertadores, um, and I think that would be a huge plus as well to to bring more even more firepower to that team. Remember, they've also got Raúl Bobadilla who was recently in the Bundesliga. Um, so they've got some good experienced players there and I, I think they could they could reach the knockouts again.
0: Absolutely. And also, I mean, we have to remember, for example, Tigre, uh, the Argentine side, they haven't been training yet. I mean, they're going to start the Libertadores very soon and, and Argentina is, is one of the more cautious uh, countries in terms of their approach. Uh, Colombia, again, is also one which has been slow to restart. So that should have a big impact. I mean, Paraguayan side's, will be match fit, whereas the, some of their rivals won't be. Uh, another Paraguayan side, which has Argentine opposition, will be Olimpia uh, in there with Santos. Uh, currently in second place on four points, Santos at top with six. And then it's also Delfin and Defensa y Justicia. So Defensa y Justicia won't have had much training, um, but they were uh, an interesting side that's, currently bottom of the group, but they've been pretty competitive and, and Delphine have a lot of pace out wide. Uh, Roberto, do you think Olympia can progress from Group G?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely think they have the the potential to do it. I think, obviously, the big match that they have, or at least the two big matches, will be playing against, um, oh, We're going back-to-back, back, will be against Santos and Defensive Justicia, who, and obviously, this isn't any disrespect to Delphine, because I think it is a tough group in any, in any sense, but um, I, I think what we've seen, at least in the restart of the, the competition of, of the league, is that I, I think they're trying to put all their eggs in one basket to focus on the Copalier Towers because I think that's something that they've, they've dreamed about and they want to win. You know, they've, they've won four straight league titles, or I should say uh, two operateurs and two clausuras uh, in a row. So it, it feels as if though now they don't want to deal with that they want to really go in and go and focus for the Copa Libertadores and I think they have the potential to do it. I think they really are a side that, you know, could still be tweaked a bit uh, in terms of maybe their defense and definitely up front, but they'd obviously have the history of winning the competition three times and you know, um, having the support that they have. It's going to be different because all these all these games will be behind closed doors, so you, you won't see the same atmosphere um, for for all these countries, really. But um, I think they, you know, obviously they they didn't lose a game yet. You know, tying delfine and beating Olympia, uh, beating Defensa Justicia. So it's not to say that it's a bad start, but you know, I think if they're able to get some points against uh, those ne- these next two games against uh, Santos in, and Def- Defensa Justicia, then I, I do really
0: see them with high potential of qualifying uh, to the next round of the Copa Libertadores sounds good okay so we have libertad in group h so they've got boca juniors caracas and independiente medellin so far so good for libertad uh two wins out of two top of the group a big win here away in medellin which has really set them up nicely up next they've got boca juniors at home and again as we say boca juniors perhaps won't have uh the match practice and won't be match fit the same applies to medellin venezuela is also delayed as well so libertad top of a group with a lot of teams who aren't going to be uh, particularly well prepared. If they can beat Boca Juniors, they should be in a, an excellent position to progress. No, Ralph.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think of the three Paraguayan teams, they're the they're the best place uh, to go to go into the next round, round. I mean, <laughs> remember their coaches, Ramon Diaz, who, you know, is a very, a very good coach in knockout games. He's won the tournament before himself. Um, the one thing maybe that you know that's that will be kind of nagging Libertad is that they've they've dropped off in form since the since the restart, um, and you know now there's there's this six point gap with with Cerro Porteño in the in the league. Um, but that said, I think they have the quality, they have the manager. Um, like you say, the opposition are, are struggling. I read yesterday. I think that Boca Juniors had a had a lot of positive cases confirmed that could even uh, see some players um, unable to to play because we're less than two weeks away now from the from the fixture. I think I think we're I think it's on the fifteenth uh, their their game. So so I think everything's pointing in in favour of Libertad to be able to progress for them. I mean that's the one that's the trophy there they're missing. Um, since Horacio Cartes picked up the club at the turn of the century, I mean, they've, they've been the team that's actually won more league titles in, in the 21st century in Paraguay. Um, they've, they've set multiple records in terms of, I don't know, points and consecutive wins and, and things in the domestic game. But what's really eluded them is that is that trophy or even, you know, a, a, an international final. So when, when Cartes is paying for somebody like Ramon Diaz to come to Paraguay and, and manage at a local level, it's, he's not looking to win the league, he's looking really to the Libertadores and that's their ultimate goal.
0: Okay, great. Now let's look ahead to World Cup qualifying. We've got, in theory, a Copa America coming up in just under a year's time. How are Paraguay looking, Roberto? So it seems as though they have the intention to be a little bit more assertive in the game. But looking back to the last Copa America, they definitely looked as though they were still more comfortable counter-attacking and soaking up the pressure and hitting teams on the break. Uh, Almiron, for me, carried a lot of the team, but... Again, the results were were quite encouraging. Um, If the team, even though I think the team still looks a little bit limited, um, are some of these young, exciting attacking prospects going to help transform the way that Paraguay approach games? Or are they still going to be uh, looking to counter and react to the other sides that they face uh, in South American qualifying?
1: You know, having seen the matches that Paraguay have played, you know, I was was there in the first game that they put against Peru at at a Red Bull Arena in New Jersey, um, you know, I remember he was saying that he wanted a team that, like you mentioned, you know, wants to be intensely a side that likes to go on the counter, pressure a lot, and, and whatnot, similar to what he's been obviously demonstrated at at clubs in, in Spain, like at Celta and at um, at Sevilla. So, I think what we've seen so far, I think initially there were some skeptics, uh, at least from the common fan. Um, in, in Paraguay where they don't look as convincing as one would think. I mean obviously they went to <laughs> they got eliminated from the Copa America without winning a single game. And I, I think the penalty shootout against Brazil were able to, was able to rejuvenate some sort of hope to, to these um, Paraguayan players and to Berizo where they're like, okay, you know, if we could play like that against the big sides like Brit and obviously I think the, the tie against Argentina, was also another perfect example, but you know, they they weren't easily beaten, at least in, in, in the competitions. I mean, I think they've only lost by two goals so far. Uh, I think that was against Japan, but um, you know, looking at the kind of competition that they've gotten uh, in those friendlies, you know, they beat Jordan 4-2, they had to come back, they narrowly lost to Serbia, they tied Slovakia, they beat Bulgaria, and they tied Saudi Arabia. This isn't obviously a disrespect to any of those opponents, but I think Paraguayans want to be want to be more convinced in how they approach uh, a world of a, a really tough world cup qualifying process um, where they want to be more convincing. I, I think we, we see a formula being placed. I, I think Medínsel still hasn't been able to find his best team. I think he's used 44 different players uh, in in the, um, in the 14 games that, that he's been in charge of. So, Clearly, he's still kind of experimenting, but I I don't think that should be the case just before the start of World Cup qualifying. Um, And and that's kind of the big deal. I mean, obviously, there's always going to be players that are coming, um, that that are showing up and and exploding onto the scene in in the Paraguayan League, and and certainly all the players that are are going on abroad. I I think we, we see a manager that is really focused into getting the best out of his players and as you said, I, I think Miguel Amirón is that crown jewel for the national team where, you know, everything can center around him and he could be the main player um, to help out on the attack. But, you know, there's still questions of, like, where the goals are going to come from. You know, I, I think a, a, a good thing is that we see a lot of young defenders that are coming, or at least defenders that are coming out, uh, center back, you know, Gustavo Gomez, Junior Alonso, Robert Rojas, who was at River, even though he's not playing as much at West Ham, um, you know, we see many uh, Azamendi as well. So th- there's clearly talent there. But again, it's just a case of where the goals are going to come from. And, you know, there are young, there are great players that are also there, you know, like Dario Lescano and and Carlos Gonzalez, who are playing in Mexico, but uh, you know, you have Antonio Sanabria, who's playing in in Spain, at Real Betis, formerly played at Genoa, Santander, let's see if he's fit enough. And and that's the case. I think it's just the mix of, of trying to gel in that generation of the young generation of players that have already established themselves over the last few years and the new ones that are coming up. You know, your Matias Villasantis that are playing at Cerro Porteño or Jorge Morel at Guarani, um, you know, we're starting to see young players coming up and, and hopefully hopefully getting the opportunities necessary on this national team. But I think that's just the main dilemma. Um, Obviously two big games, if it does go to plan, uh, playing against uh, a Peru side and and a side that traditionally at home, even though they've only lost that game the last time they played in Asuncion, they typically have a good record there. The same would go to Venezuela uh, in their next game, but they're also with a generation of players that really want to go to a World Cup. So I think for these first two games, uh, if it all goes well in October, I think you could say that it could favor Paraguay a bit more if we go from a historical point of view. But again, I think the main issue for Berizzo is trying to see what his best team is and how we can use that um, with only a little less, little over a month until the the first game against Peru.
2: Yeah,
0: Ralph, it's interesting because there seems to be some very interesting progressive noises coming out of the camp. The manager has some interesting ambitions. But, you know, looking back to that Copa America, Oscar Cardoso was still playing and, you know, he's 37 and he's a great player, but he was never particularly mobile even in his his best years. So to play a very dynamic, uh, attacking, pressing, uh, fast-paced game he doesn't seem like a natural fit. Uh, Federico Santander was getting games, and with all due respect, and this isn't very respectful, he's a bit of a wardrobe <laughs> up front. So do Paraguay have the players? Well, we've obviously heard that the defensive uh, options are strong, and, and that's great, and, and and we know that Paraguay can dig in and get a result, and that should uh, suit them well. But can you see the, the the combination of this more progressive, ambitious football and the talent they have? Is it just a case of moving on from some of these uh, older players and, and just going with the kids? Or, or what do you think uh, the chances are of this, this interesting plan coming together?
2: I think it's the huge dilemma that Berisso faces, that he, he has this system that he wants to play. He has a lot of very exciting young players. And then he doesn't have much experience or the experience he does have, like you mentioned, Simon, is is not suited to his game plan. Um, so it's does he go and, and risk it, let's say, using a very young team um, without much experience in what can be very tough, you know, a very tough competition, which is the, the South American qualifiers. But does at that by doing that does he then risk you know losing his job after four or five fixtures if it doesn't go right? There really is no room for error in these uh, you know in this round-robbing tournament. There's 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 basically no easy team. You know it sounds like a cliche, but it's not like the European qualifiers where you might have you know one or two teams where there's a huge difference in quality. The it, since, I don't know, I, I would guess since pretty much the 2010 qualifiers with Venezuela performing much better, there's, there's been the only easy team has probably been Bolivia at home and then Bolivia away, you have to go to the past. So um, I think what his what big problem is, apart from, okay, do I, do I leave the experience behind, is then he has all these young players. A lot of them are at similar levels. So then there's a lot of people fighting for a place. And, and again, he has to try and make those decisions of, of who's going to work best. I would say apart from, from Miguel Almiron, there's really not you know, a definite starter on that on that team sheet. Um, you have of the defenders uh, Roberto mentioned, I'd say probably their, their best defender at the moment or the kind of the person that could have, leaded, have led the team is Bruno Valdez who's been one of uh, America's best defenders and he's he's been captaining them. Um, but he's just got a cruciate ligament inju- injury and he's going to be out for about six to eight months. So then he has to look to people like Gustavo Gomez, Junior Alonso, who are both playing in Brazil, um, or somebody like Balbuena, who maybe, maybe is a stronger player but hasn't been playing as much. So, I mean, those kind of dilemmas he has, he has all over the pitch. Um, and I think that's the that's a really tricky part for for Beriso and it's is what ideally he would have used the Copa America for, but I don't think he found what he was looking for in the Copa America. So again, there's um, there's still some of this uncertainty. I mean, with that, it, it does seem very difficult that that Paraguay will progress when you look at some of the other teams that are much more stable there's there's you know just take their first opponent Peru for example who okay Peru do have a very aging team but that they have the the coach in place and they have that system they've been building on and working on um, so we'll see I mean I would love Paraguay to be at the next World Cup of course it's it's a huge event for the country I mean you know that the, the country doesn't just stand still on those on those games. People wake up. You know, it's going to be early mornings in, in Paraguay for the World Cup in Qatar. People aren't going to worry about that. They'll get their their mate in the morning. Everyone get together, watch the game. It's it's a huge thing. Um, so I hope they can get back there, having missed out the the last couple of of tournaments. Um, but it's it is a hugely competitive. A series of of games. There really is no easy game in, in the World Cup qualifiers in South America.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Roberto, my question. Um, so is there a great deal of hunger in Paraguay for this team to be more expansive? Obviously, you know, you often get the the sense, for example, if it's a Premier League team, you think, well, you know, we don't really care about the result as much. We want to stay in the league, Well, you know, it'd be great to play some attacking football because Paraguay is identity and so much of their success you look at some of their great world cup appearances a lot of them now there was quality there but a lot of it was built around digging in upsetting the opposition getting in their face getting the results you know bravely getting over the line is that identity something that the paraguayan people embrace and are they enthusiastic to be a more attacking team or would they be quite happy to go to this world cup qualifying campaign as the as the spoilers as the rugged traditional no nonsense get stuck in and hit you on the break kind of paraguayan side that have historically done pretty well for for a relatively small country
1: well i think it's it's definitely divided um the the way that we're supposed to view it i think having not qualified for two straight World Cups, you know, coming off a side that made to four straight and, and being known for that style of play that you would mentioned, you know, being very defensive um, traditionally. And I think they still have those virtues when you look at some of the players that they have, but, you know, play on the counter and just be rugged, as you said. And, you know, the the famous uh, saying that we say, that they said in Paraguay, you know, is to win games with central say Sego, you know, a cross... Uh, headed uh, headed um, goal and whatnot. So yeah, I I think it's really been something that has definitely divided a lot of opinion in Paraguay. Where you know, should we go and play alo Paraguay is, is basically the Paraguayan way of being rigid and and just go for the results and you know it doesn't matter if you win one nil, it, it, a win's a win and not do it convincingly like a three or four nil for example. Um. I think what we have, it's going to be difficult because the resources up front aren't there. Um, I think we still are stuck in that kind of uh, identity of, of being that kind of tough team to beat. And they've always been like this, not Not just in the, in, the, um, in the national team level, but I think also in the club level as well. I think they've always provided a lot of... Um, difficulty for any opposition that they play, be it in Copa Libertadores, Copa America's World Cup qualifiers, and so on and so forth. But um, again, I think when you look at what they have in front of them, you can't really work with much. I mean, you know, the, again, can, is Miguel Miron a, a proven goal scorer? I mean, yes, he was the top goal scorer in all competitions for Newcastle United, but that that that, that maybe isn't enough to convince that he can do the same thing on the national team. I mean, you know, can Deleuze Gonzalez do that? Can Can someone like Antonio Sanabria do it? I mean, or do we risk it all and go for those young players? I, I think Betiso definitely has a lot, and like Ralph said, has a lot to deal with. I think he is fortunate enough that he does have a player pool that he can use, but at the same time, what type of quality that they have will be enough for them to, to move forward and, and really get those games. I, I think... Look, if if you're gonna win all your games and <laughs> win all your home games one nil, I mean, for for Paraguayans, I think that would be great because they're like, oh, great, we qualify for the World Cup, happy. But some people aren't just gonna be like, no, this just can't be. We can't be like this. We need to convincingly beat teams that we know we can beat, and 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 you know, it can't happen. I mean, this isn't to say that this is a team that will just score one goal and and just play and park the bus and whatnot. No, I, I think. Um, I think they want to definitely understand that, especially what is trying to do, is to play on the counter and, and be more free on the attack to score goals. I think they, they want that to happen. But I think it's going to be very difficult um, to, to do that with the players that we have at the, at our disposal and to see that work into fruition. I mean, this isn't to say that they can't score goals. You know, They, they scored um, a bunch of goals already under Benizo. I think they've scored how many it was but you know they've, they've done sorry, 14 that you know they scored 14 go- uh, goals in in 14 games i mean it's um so the, they're still keeping to that kind of identity and, and whatnot but m- maybe that's the only way i i would like to say much i would love to say much more for this side and and be confident saying that yes they could score much more and and, and win games convincingly but if it's the way that it has to be done in order to get through these tough qualifiers, then so be it. I mean, maybe that's not the popular, um, opinion, but maybe it's the only way to go forward in in these compositions.
0: No, I think it's cool. Like for me, I see and this is my stupid stereotypical brain. I see Paraguayans are like pirates. Like they they just they're like roguish characters. I love it. I love it. I see them in Libertadores getting stuck in. But there's obviously some quality there as well. Um so Ralph, before we finish up on on Paraguay. For me, for example, I think being a well-organized, disciplined, defensively tough team could get you quite far right now in South American qualifying because we've seen that, you know, we obviously there's still many questions. Like Colombia, a load of talent, they've never had so much quality and in depth in quality. But who knows what Colombia, you know, Quiros is still a work in progress, he hasn't really worked out his system. Argentina, again, I think there's a lot of potential there, they look more balanced, but again, there's still questions about the identity. Ecuador. Who knows what's going on with Ecuador? Um so I, I do think there is, and Chile are in team in decline. Like part of me thinks, stick with what you know, and this time around it it might be enough. I mean, what are your thoughts? So there's ten teams in South America in qualifying. Where today, your prediction, do you think Paraguay finish? Uh, and can they can they sneak in, get the fifth place, get to a playoff? What what are your thoughts? No pressure
2: then. Um, let me see. I I agree with you that now is the time if you're gonna play Kind of defensive, gritty football. Now is the time when you're playing behind closed doors because you're not going to have fans on your back if you're passing the ball backwards or you know you're not you're not doing much or you're trying to see out a one nil. This is this is the perfect time while we're behind closed doors. Um, and I also agree. the The qualifiers you've you've often seen that one team that maybe is just a bit hard to beat um, and then can sneak their games at home. Can often make it. It's it's usually Uruguay. You get through through the through the playoff. To be honest, if I put, I couldn't put Paraguay in the top five now. My my heart wants to, but I don't think I could. I'd I'd see them around around kind of six or seven, maybe. Um, You got them got them fighting just above, maybe just you know above the Bolivia and Venezuela, but then you have Ecuador, Chile—they're probably in that group. And maybe those teams, okay, they're losing their identity, they're in decline. And Paraguay, are kind of trying to re-find it, I suppose, with this with this younger team. Um, so let's see, let's see if they could they could sneak past them. Um, for sure, I think they would like if they could, they would like to play uh, more counter-attacking football. The the players. I mean, you look at someone like Almirón. And also at Newcastle under Steve Bruce, I think he's he kind of finds more space that way, and he can be more effective that way.
0: Okay, sounds good. And Roberto, what are your thoughts? Uh, would you say they're in that that perhaps that Chile kind of area, Ecuador, Venezuela of of maybe they can, maybe they can't. They're in the conversation. Uh, and final question as well. Uh, what about the Copa America? How important do you think the Copa America will be? Or is it going to be a chance, maybe a chance to experiment with maybe reduce pressure on the manager in those games?
1: Um, well, I'll, I'll go to your second question first. Um, I, I think, you know, for Paraguay, they, at least right now, I think they view the Copa America as something important. You know, I, I don't say that it's the priority of them to win. Um, I think they haven't reached that that kind of uh, expectation that maybe a Brazil or a, or an Argentina or Colombia or Uruguay can have. But, you know, I, I think, um, again, this is a, the last time that they played a Copa America in the middle of World Cup qualifying. They, they saw their coach, Ramon Diaz, get sacked uh, without winning a single game. So And then they had that kind of different World Cup qualifying with um, Francisco Chiquiarce, who barely made the the World Cup, uh, if it wasn't for a loss, uh, sorry, the playoff spot, if it wasn't for a loss to uh, Venezuela in the final day. So anything can go, really. And I, I think it all just depends on who they play. Um, I hope that if Paraguay are in a reasonable situation fighting for those spots by the time the, the Copa America does occur, that hopefully they won't sack their coach this time if it goes badly. I think they understand that they really want to go to the world cup. Like you said, I think it's like Ralph said, I think it's a, it's an important thing for Paraguay to make a world cup, you know, especially when they had that history a decade or so ago, um, sorry, two decades ago, Uh, you know, they, they want to, they want to be back because they know that they can, they can do that. Um, I think I'll be a bit more optimistic though than Ralph. Um, I, I, I think they have the potential. I think there's there's always one, there's always one team that will always surprise and will qualify. qualifying. There's always going to be one that's like that will make it hard. Um, I while I do think that they are in that find of fifth or sixth, sorry sixth or seventh position. You know, just right at the edge of the of the final playoff round. I, I mean, look, if we're going to say that Brazil, Argentina, Colombia are going to qualify, then you know that one spot. Are they more? even towards a Peru or a Chile or an Ecuador. I mean, maybe they are, maybe to some extent they are. I think, I think that will be fascinating to see. But again, I, I think these qualifiers are so important and, and so different now, like like Ralph said, you know, I think maybe not having those intense atmospheres that we're seeing um, in, in South America, maybe that just eases off the pressure a bit more for some of these teams. I mean, there's obviously going to be pressure because they want to make the World Cup. But um, I think now is the time to to play the way that you want to play. And, you know, again, like I said, if it has to be done, play 18 games, win all of them 1-0 and, and, and qualify, then so be it. I mean, I think that's what Paraguay want the most. I think they, they, they want to qualify. And whatever happens afterwards, so be it. I mean, they'll, they'll fix it, I think. Mean, those are two different competitions when you're dealing with a World Cup qualifying process and a Copa America or even making it to a World Cup. it's You, you have a different chip in those type of competitions. So we'll see what occurs. Um, but I think everything relies on what happens in that first game against Peru uh, in October. So I'll be optimistic and say that they're still fighting for that final playoff spot, but I, I could understand why they might be just not there yet and might just right be below the, the sixth or seventh spot in qualifying.
0: Yeah, I think that, I mean, they're in the conversation, no doubt. I think there's a lot of, yeah, I think there's a lot of teams that could, that could, I mean, anyone, I don't think there's any, I mean, maybe Bolivia, but who knows if they, if they, you know, at home, Bolivia are very exciting. You know, they they look to press home their advantage with the altitude. But I think everyone else will go into this competition expecting to be in the conversation and ex- and eyeing that fifth spot and thinking that at the minimum that could that could be us. It's interesting. It could be it could be a minefield this Copa America for the manager. You know, um, if I think it'll be interesting to see how he. Uh, presents it in the in the media, in the press, whether he's talking it down as, as a bit of a chance to experiment. you Because know, for me, I see this maybe as a chance for him to use that competition to go with the kids and maybe see how that works out and, and maybe put all of the emphasis on the, the World Cup qualifiers and say, we're going to use this Copa America to try out some of these young players and maybe one or two come out of it and go into the Copa America, it'll be uh, to the World Cup qualifying. It'll be interesting to see if he has the weavos for that kind of approach and uh, perhaps it costs him his job. But absolutely great. Uh, guys, thank you very much. It's interesting. I, Paraguay are going to be an interesting story to follow. Great talent coming through. A real good tradition of of committed, organised football and then a bit of magic sprinkled on top. So we'll, we'll see how it comes together. Uh, Roberto, Thanks for joining us. Um, where can people follow you on Twitter? And is there anything else you'd like to point them in the direction of?
1: Oh uh, Yeah, no, thank you again for having me. It was a really interesting chat. Um, you can follow me at Roberto Rojas 97 on Twitter. Um, you can obviously check out my podcast, the the Football Podcast, who are celebrating their seventh anniversary next week. So we, we have a show prepared for, for next week. And obviously, we'll continue going with that same format talking about what's going on in the world of football i'm uh, grateful to have both of you guys uh, as guests in the past so you know very fortunate for you to be a part of it and yeah that's basically what you could find all the stuff that i'm doing uh, at the moment and again i guess leading up to what's occurring for the paraguayan teams in in their league and the Copa Ortes, and eventually for the world cup qualifiers so yeah thank you again for having me
0: no, you're very welcome, and it's thoroughly recommended. I, I definitely check that out. And uh, Ralph, where can people follow you on Twitter?
2: Um, I'm on Twitter at, at Paraguay Ralph, um, and I'm kind of usually there rambling about about local games or or things happening in Paraguay or sometimes in Miami. Miami. Okay, great.
0: Thanks very much. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this episode. Uh, We'll have another one coming up very, very shortly on another country. Uh, I'd also like to remind everyone that we also have uh, a Patreon now where we have a lot of additional content. We have city guides. The Sao Paulo episode has just gone up. We've had one on Medellin, one on Bogota, one on uh, Buenos Aires as well. So if you guys want to get into the traveling spirit and you want to learn about different cultures and music I love putting all the music in i have learning so much Brazilian music is amazing so I had some real fun inclusions the Medellin one I got to show some music from my city and, and talk about food and culture and all that good stuff uh, we also have profiles of a lot of the best Colombian talents uh, happy to see some of my guys uh, already in the new Colombia U20 squad so I can say I, I told you I told you that was going to happen so if you're if you uh, enjoy the content we put out on World Football Index it's it's a great help to us to If you guys can throw in a couple of quid on the Patreon and uh, get a load of extra content, there's hours and hours of stuff up there. So even if you just want to sign up for one month, give it a go, listen to everything, and then you have the option to cancel at any time as well. So yeah, much appreciated if you want to give that a go. And uh, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll have another episode coming very soon. So thank you and goodbye.